Our scripture reading is from Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. This is found on, the pa- on page 946 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please by all means take the one that you are reading from as a gift from us. Verse 10. For the heart of one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's good to see each one of you this morning. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here at the Brookside Campus of Christ Community. And as we continue in our service together, I'd love to pray and ask God's Spirit to be speaking afresh to us through uh, these ancient words. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you that you have spoken in your word, that you've delivered to us this good news of the gospel. I pray that you would empower us um, to continue to share this good news of the gospel with the world. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, as Paul mentioned earlier, we are in a series called Church for Monday, and we've been exploring this idea together that uh, so often the local church has been focused uh, primarily or almost exclusively sort of on what happens at church, that we've kind of been a church for Sunday, but that really what church ought to be is it should be designed to equip us to prepare us for all of life, for Monday, for what comes after Sunday. And so we've been walking through this series looking at what does it look like to be ready for Monday as a follower of Jesus. And what we're going to see this week is that a disciple, a Christian, who is ready to follow Jesus on Monday, that they share the gospel, they share the good news. Now, I can imagine just even hearing those couple of sentences, some of you already might be uh, a a little uncomfortable, um, because while it feels natural and normal enough to talk about Jesus here inside the walls of the church, uh, talking about him on Monday can feel a lot like this. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> he, he better not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I'd like you not to. <laughs> you could say that to the Pope. I want to talk to you about Jesus. You'd be like, easy, freak. <laughs> I keep work at work. <laughs> I have to admit, that was a good impression of the Pope. (laughs) I love that that bit from Jim Gaffigan, because I think he captures it so well, that that we don't want to be that person, that kind of creepy person, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. 
Um, and, and even as a pastor, I'm self-conscious about how I talk about Jesus. It's, it's hard, right? We, we go out into Monday life and wonder, okay, how do I translate Jesus? How do I talk about Jesus in a non-weird, compelling way? And I know from talking to many of you that, that you feel and you experience uh, similar kinds of things. That this is overwhelming and I'm with you. Because uh, this is not something that I feel uh, that I'm particularly good at. I don't know that it's uh, something that we as a church are particularly good at. It's something I'm, I'm often scared to do. Um, I mean, probably should say I'm always <laughs> scared to do. Uh, there's never, I'm just not one of those people that feels like, oh, this just comes so naturally to me. And, and as a pastor, we as a church, again, I don't know that we've, we've equipped you particularly well to do this. And, and I'm sorry about that because this is the, we have the very best news to share. The absolute very best news to share. And, and even though we, we may feel like we're not ready to share it, because uh, I know I often feel that way. I just, I just know if I'm ready to, to share this. The more I've studied Romans chapter 10 this week, the more uh, I became convinced of this, that, that I am ready, that you are ready, um, that you have everything you need to share Jesus, to talk about Jesus on Monday. And we have everything we need to talk about Jesus on Monday. But so often it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like we have all we need. It doesn't feel like we're ready. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, what I want to do is, is actually name some of the reasons that we feel like we're not ready or that we can't do this. And then actually show us from Romans chapter 10 how Jesus meets us in those places of inadequacy and, and has supplied what we, what we lack and given us everything that we need. So I think one of the first reasons that, that we find it hard to talk about Jesus on Monday, feel like we can't do it, is that it's going to be weird. I mean, this is, the Jim, this is Jim Gaffigan's whole point, that it's weird to talk to people about Jesus who, who aren't already part of your, your church or uh, that you know that this person's a Christian. It, it's, it's weird. And so we, we want to wait for the right moment, the moment when it, when it won't be awkward, when it won't be weird, uh, when the moment when, when the person won't look at us funny. But it, the problem is that that moment's probably never going to come. Because you can't share Jesus without, without losing something, without risking something, without opening yourself up to some amount of shame or ridicule. And, and I'm convinced that so often the reason I don't share about Jesus is that I am afraid of what people are going to think of me. But you know what that actually realize, that reveals that in those moments, what I'm actually trusting in isn't Jesus, but my reputation, people's perceptions of me. That in those moments that I'm actually looking at those things and saying that, well, if this person thinks bad of me, then, then, I'm, then I'm, in, I'm in trouble. And that's actually more important to me in those moments than Jesus, that I'm going to feel shame because in those moments, I'm not actually looking to Jesus because Jesus has taken my shame away. Jesus has taken your shame. Because look at where Paul starts in Romans chapter 10, verse 10. He says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Shame is one of the most powerful forces in our lives. 
that deep sense of inadequacy, of I'm, I'm not enough. It's one of those powerful forces in our lives, and we will do almost anything to avoid shame. And yet to follow Jesus, to walk with him, to live the life that he's called us to, is to follow one who is put to open shame on the cross. To follow Jesus is to identify with his shame. <clears throat> but it's also to identify with his glory. Because everyone who believes in him will not in the end be put to shame. God will not abandon you in the judgment. He has saved you. He has rescued you. And so with Jesus, you can despise the shame of the cross. In the end, you will not be put to shame. So yes, here and now you may be ridiculed, you may be mocked, people may look at you as ignorant or backward or unintelligent or regressive. But your Savior will never put you to shame. Not in the end, he will never put you to shame. So here's a practice for us in this. To embrace the weird. To embrace the eight seconds of weirdness that comes in these conversations. Author and researcher Brené Brown makes this observation that when you're having a difficult conversation with anyone about something, you're like, oh, man, i got to talk to this person about some way that they've hurt me or, or some difficult thing that's happening in our, in our relationships. He says there's like eight seconds of weird, eight seconds of awkwardness that you have to go through as you raise that topic with that person. But once you get past those kind of eight seconds, then you can begin to talk. You begin to process when you get past that. So embrace the fact. Embrace the fact that talking about Jesus has never been easy for anyone at any time, in any place. It's never been easy. It's never been uh, something that, that is totally free from any kind of difficulty. And remember that you will not be put to shame. Remember that Jesus has taken your shame. He has endured more shame than anyone. And so you can talk about Jesus on Monday because he has taken your shame. I think another reason that we uh, struggle to talk about Jesus on Monday is we feel like we don't know enough. Or we don't have the right method. Or that someone's going to ask us a question that we, that we won't know the answer to. Or, or we won't be able to, to clearly articulate what we think about it even if we feel like we do know the answer. But what Romans 10 shows us is that the most important thing is not actually having enough knowledge, but about acknowledging our need for rescue and to help others see their own need for rescue. Because Jesus can rescue anyone. Jesus can rescue anyone. Look at what he says in verses 12 through 13 here. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on the one who calls on, on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, in the context here, Paul's desires to see his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters come to know Jesus as the Messiah. But Paul is also making a, a larger point in the book of Romans, declaring how the gospel of Jesus is for all peoples. There is nothing that can disqualify you. There's nothing that can disqualify someone from being saved based on the, their background or their heritage or their status or their culture or their ethnicity or their language. We are all share in the common ground of needing rescue. 
right? And to, to call on the name of the Lord, that's language that we don't use a lot, but it comes up twice here in this, this text, this language of calling on the name of the Lord, that is to acknowledge our need and to ask Jesus for help. And that's the start of a relationship with him, to acknowledge that I have a, a desperate need that only, that only Jesus can meet. That's what it is to call on the name of the Lord. It's when we come to the end of our own abilities, our own resources, our, our own reliance upon ourselves and look to Jesus, not just to get to heaven someday, but to save us from our weakness, from ourselves, from our sin, from our, our frailty, from our selfishness and our anger and our bitterness, our addiction, whatever it might be. That's what it is to call on the name of the Lord. To come to the very end of yourself and say, to literally cry out, Lord Jesus, I, I need you. I need you. And so often it's in, in moments of pain, it's in moments of, of suffering that move us to the place of acknowledging that weakness, that need, maybe for the first time. Uh, and oftentimes we, we, those things come back into our lives again to bring us back to those places of dependence and humility. And I was reminded of that because about a couple of weeks ago, I somehow, I don't know exactly what, but I was working out and I hurt my back and it started getting worse and worse. And by Tuesday of this week, I, could, I was in so much pain, I could hardly walk. <laughs> Uh, and I would get these terrible spasms in my back where I'd end up on my knees literally crying out, Lord Jesus, help me. Um, and, and you can ask Pastor Henry about that because I was actually on the phone with him when I had a couple of these spasms and he heard me say, Jesus, help me. As I was trying to get out of my car, my back was just in such a knot. Coming to this place of crying out and saying, Lord, help me. We need that dependence on Jesus. Everyone needs rescue. People in our culture look like they may have it together. They may look like they've got it figured out. But we don't. We all need help. Deliverance from something. We, we don't need the answer to every question. We just need to be able to share where we have found rescue. We don't need the answer to every question. We just need to be able to point people to where we have found rescue in those places when we've come to the end of ourselves. And this is why we need to make a practice of keeping the focus on Jesus. Because we know there's something wrong in our world. We, we see the injustice and suffering and evil and weakness in our own stories and in the world around us. And becoming a Christian means that you look to Jesus as the answer to those problems. That's what it is to call on the name of the Lord, to ask Him for help, to say this is the person who's the only way that my life is going to be changed and be fixed. The only way that our world is going to be set right again is through Him. Jesus is what is central. So if you're having a conversation with someone about your faith, about your relationship with Christ, and and they say something like, I'm just not sure I can buy everything about Christianity. I just don't know if I could, I just don't know if I could ever accept what Christianity says about, about human sexuality. I just don't know if I can go there. And you might think, okay, I don't know how to answer that, or I don't know if I can, how do I respond in that moment? But this is the moment where you can actually turn the focus back to Jesus and say, well, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, because the first step in becoming a Christian uh, isn't believing what Christians believe about sex. That's not the first step in becoming a Christian. The first step in becoming a Christian is answering the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? 
Is the tomb empty? Is Jesus actually who he said he is? Is he actually God? If he isn't, then who cares what he taught about human sexuality? Who cares what the church believes about that? If he isn't God, if he didn't rise from the dead, all this is foolish. It doesn't matter. But if he did, if Jesus actually did rise from the dead, if he is truly God himself come and take on human flesh, living among us and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, if, he, if that really is who he is, and he's our one hope, then entrust yourself to him. Begin to follow him and begin to understand all of life, including finances and sexuality and relationships. Begin to understand all of life from him. Learn from him. Lead where he follows. But the first step in becoming a Christian is what do you think, who do you say that I am? That's just the question that Jesus asks each and every one of us. Who do you say that I am? That's the question that we need to keep bringing people back around to in those kind of conversations. Keep the focus on him. You don't have to have the answer to every question. You need to have Jesus. Start with him and how he rescues us from everything. If you're a Christian, you are ready to talk about Jesus on Monday. Because everyone needs rescue. And you know the rescuer. You can talk about Jesus on Monday because everyone needs rescue. And you know the rescuer. Okay, here's, a, here's another reason I, I think that we struggle to talk about Jesus on Monday. Uh, we think, I'm not going to convince anyone. I'm not going to convince anyone. We're, we're surrounded by people of all different kinds of beliefs, different religious systems and backgrounds, people who don't claim any religion at all, people who are smarter than me. Look, I'm not going to convince anyone, so, so why even try? I'm not going to change their mind. So why should I even try? You should try because Jesus has sent you. You can talk about Jesus on Monday because he has sent you. Look at what Paul, how he continues in verses 14 and 15. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they have never heard? And, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, you might get hung up on that word preach that Paul uses there thinking, well, I'm not a preacher. You know, I, I'm not, that's what a pastor does on, in, the, in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm not a preacher. But that word that's translated preach there just simply means to, be, uh, to deliver a message that you've been entrusted with. It's not even always used in the context of, of public speaking. It's just the idea of delivering a message you've been entrusted with. And each and every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel, this message. And how did you become a Christian? I mean, think, think back to that. How did you become a Christian? I'm imagining unless, you know, maybe there's someone here who had some kind of extraordinary moment of divine revelation in a dream or something like that. But most likely someone told you, right? Someone Maybe it was a pastor in a church service. Maybe it was a speaker at an event. Maybe it was a roommate, a parent, a teammate, a coworker. Someone opened their mouth and told you something of the good news of Jesus. 
you are here this morning, you believe in Jesus, if you have called on his name, it's because someone told you. And yet somehow, and I fall into this trap, somehow I think if I tell someone that there's no way that will work. As if somehow I was, everyone else is somehow less likely to believe than I was. But here's the thing, none of us are predisposed to believe this good news. All of our hearts have been hardened. Only, only Jesus can, can, can bring about belief. So if we were just sort of telling people on our own power, of course you're not going to convince anyone, but it's not just us. We've been sent by Jesus in the power of His Spirit. He's the one who brings new life. He's the one who convinces. We, we share, but He works. But He works through us opening our mouths and talking with others. That's how I became a Christian. I bet for most of you in there is how you became a Christian. Someone talked to you about Jesus and what it is to know Him and love Him and follow Him. So, so it isn't our job to convince anyone. Only Jesus can bring about new life in someone. Only He can do the work of bringing about belief where there's unbelief. Only Jesus could have done that in my life, and yet He used lots of people sharing that good news to do that work. He used us to do this. So here's, here's the practice. Stop convincing and start listening. Stop trying to convince and start listening. And there are really two voices that we need to listen to. Uh, the first voice is to listen to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. Actually, really listen to their stories. Be good at asking questions. Listen for the places where they need rescue. What do they need help with? Where are they struggling? Where might and, and how might Jesus actually be the answer to the problems that they have in their life? Are we listening enough to hear those places of pain, those places of vulnerability, those places of need? I think it was Francis Schaeffer who said that if he had an hour with someone, that he would spend 55 minutes listening and then five minutes sharing about who Jesus was after listening to those. We need to listen well to our neighbors, but also we need to listen well to the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those things where I think uh, in, in our particular cultural moment, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, and, and it's kind of this mysterious, amorphous thing, like what does that really, what does it mean to hear from the Spirit? But we need to get in this practice of when you feel that nudge, when you feel that sort of intuition, this impression, this sense, maybe I should ask a question here, maybe I should go a little deeper here. Maybe I just need to be quiet here. Are we learning to listen to the voice of the Spirit in these conversations? Are we praying as we talk with people, not just about the gospel, but just having conversations in general? Are we praying with, Lord, would you show me how to love and care for this person in this moment? Which may lead then to an opportunity for you to ask questions that then lead them to open and share about things going on in their life. Are we becoming more adept at learning to hear the Holy Spirit's leading. Because think about this. In 2,000 years, Christianity spread from being a group of 100 people who were of Jewish faith and ethnicity exclusively to now a movement represented on every continent in the world. Christianity is now African and South American and European and Asian and North American and Australian. There are Christians in every continent. I guess even there's some Christians probably down in Antarctica. I don't know. I mean, there's a research station down there, maybe. I don't know if they have any churches there, but there's Christians all over the world. 
all different kinds of languages and cultures and ethnicities represented. How did that happen? It happened because God convinced a lot of people through the sharing of the good news by Christians that Jesus actually brought people to new life. But He's involved His people in the work. It happened because Christians went. They embraced the weird. They talked about Jesus on Monday, not just on Sunday. And finally, one more reason I think we don't talk about Jesus on Mondays. I think sometimes we, we get the sense that it's arrogant. We think that we're saying that by sharing the gospel that, that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. If I'm telling them about Jesus and about my beliefs, that I'm, that I'm essentially saying that, that you're wrong and I'm right, I've got to figure it out, you don't know. But that's not what Paul is saying in this passage, and it's not the message of Christianity. The message of the gospel, the message of Christianity, is not that I'm right and that the other person is wrong. The message of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, is that we are all wrong. None of us has gotten it right. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have lived life. We're all wrong, and Jesus is our only hope. The good news of the gospel is not that I'm right and you're wrong. The good news of the gospel is that we are all wrong, but we have an incredible hope in the risen Savior, Jesus. And He is more beautiful and compelling than anything else. And so you can talk about Jesus on on Monday because He is more beautiful. The end of verse 15 describes the feet of those who carry the message of the gospel as beautiful. Just kind of an odd turn of phrase. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the message of the gospel. But the feet of them, they're beautiful because they bring the beauty of the gospel to a world that is starved for beauty and life. When I was in Bible college and seminary, I used to love, and I, I still do, to, to read Christian philosophy and apologetics and think through intellectual arguments for uh, the coherence of Christian belief and its correspondence to the world. And, and again, I still enjoy that. I still loved doing that. And, and I think it has incredible power because Christianity does have a coherence to it. it does, there are good intellectual reasons to believe the gospel. It's based on history and faith, not just a blind faith. But I've noticed that those writers and speakers who have spoken to me most powerfully, who have touched my soul most deeply when they make a case for the gospel, people like C.S. Lewis or, or Tim Keller, that there's always a moment when they sort of leave the intellectual and they enter the realm of beauty. That they have a a way of communicating the gospel message that makes you want to believe it's true. Even if you're not there yet. That you see this incredible beauty in it. That you say, I want, I don't even, I don't know, I've got, I don't know if I can believe this is true yet, but I, I wish something like that was true. I wish that was the way the world really was. And so often, I, I think we don't share our faith. We don't talk about Jesus on Monday because we haven't continued to see him as beautiful. Haven't continued to see our salvation, our rescue for, for the beauty that is there. And yet I think we're reminded of that as we, be, as we keep sharing it. So the practice here, share the beauty. Remember the moments when Jesus has entered your story and showed you glimpses of beauty, of his beauty, of the beauty of the world that he's created and how he's redeeming it. Share that beauty, the beauty of forgiveness and hope, and trust Jesus with the results. Back in 1981, 
a community college student who you've never heard of named Pat Bowden uh, stepped out in faith and did just that. And his legacy from that moment has an impact even on everyone sitting here in this room today. And, and Pat, you know, he isn't a brilliant philosopher. He isn't a trained pastor or theologian. He isn't Tim Keller or C.S. Lewis. He was just a community college student working in the, the AV office who befriended a fellow student, an AV office worker who was a disgruntled Catholic, who wasn't interested in Jesus, who was plagued by guilt and anger. And Pat gently led that student to see the beauty of Jesus and forgiveness. And Jesus showed up that day and brought my dad to new life and faith in him. And about a year later, after that moment I was born, my dad and my mom began sharing the gospel with me. And now each and every week, just about, I get to share here with you on Sunday mornings the good news of the gospel. Because Pat, back in 1981, said, I'm going to share the beauty of Jesus with someone. Step out in faith in that. So who will you tell? What kind of an impact might that have? Now, even in this moment, if you're honest, you may still say, you know what, Bill, I, I still really don't want to talk about Jesus on Monday. But do you want to want to? Start there. Do you want to want to? Maybe if you're not there, ask Jesus to, to give you a, even a want to want to. Say, Jesus, I don't even want to do this, but would you help me desire to do this? Would you do a work in me that I... Help move in me to, to want to do this, to give me a desire to want to do this. Immerse yourself in the beauty of Jesus and his rescue. Ask for wisdom to see the moments when you can share the hope that you have found. Ask for attentiveness and obedience to the Spirit in those moments. Ask for the courage to embrace the, the awkward. And we want to help you do that. And so um, in just a moment, we're going to have, uh, you'll get a card. Uh, just a, it's just a place where you can write down. I imagine for, for many of you, as you've heard this message you've been going through, there's been people who have come to your mind. It's like, man, I would, I'd love to share with them, or I'd love to see this person become a Christian. Maybe it's a, a roommate from school, or a, um, someone you used to work with, or a neighbor next door. And they've just been on your mind. Their name has kept popping into your mind as you've listened to this message. Maybe it's a family member. I just encourage you, write that name down or write a couple names down on this card and, and keep that with you this week. And maybe you put it, you know, by your, uh, where you get ready in the morning on the mirror or by your Bible or someplace where you can see it and just be reminded to pray for them, to ask that God would do the work and that he would give you the courage and the sensitivity to see those moments when you have an opportunity to share, to tell someone. Now, some others of you might be here this morning, and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus. But you're, you say, actually, I, maybe I do want to learn a little bit more. Or maybe you were in a place where you would have walked into the doors this morning and said, I'm actually pretty skeptical about this whole faith Jesus thing, but I'm here with a family member or a friend. And, and now you would say, but something's happening. Something's happening in me right now, in this, in this service this morning. 
It's like, I need that forgiveness. I need that hope. I need to call in the name of the Lord. Maybe for the first time you do. Maybe you've come to church your whole life, but you're realizing this moment, I've never really trusted Jesus. I've never actually truly trusted him with my life. I've just gone through the motions. If that's you, would you just write your name and some kind of contact information, email, phone number, something on that card? You can just drop that in the offering boxes. We, if you'd want to talk with a pastor, we'd love to follow up with you. We'd love to hear your story, how God is working. We'd love to help a- answer questions that you have in this journey. Because, again, I guess that some of you might not believe that church is the place for you, might believe this gospel isn't good news for you, that Jesus is not the Lord for you, and you've come to that belief because you either have told yourself a lie or heard a lie that Jesus doesn't work with people like you, doesn't work with damaged goods, that he doesn't care for people like you. But that's giving more credit and power to your sin and shame the Christ's love and redeeming power. It's allowing your shame to have the defining and lasting power in your life. But the good news of the gospel is that because Jesus became our guilt and shame and nailed it to the cross, he has crucified not only uh, sin and guilt, but he's taken away your shame and removed its power. And that's what we celebrate every week in communion. It's where we immerse ourselves afresh in the beauty of forgiveness and in the hope of the gospel and the beauty of who Jesus is why we come together to celebrate each week, to be refreshed, to be renewed, to to reanimate our imaginations around the good news of the gospel, that this is why we gather. This is the one hope that we have. So we're prepared to leave this place, ready to share the hope that we have found on Sunday with those that we meet and interact with and love and serve and care for on Monday. So let me give you just a few quick instructions on how we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper here together. We have four stations around the room. There's two in the back on either side and two here on the front uh, on either side. And you can just make your way to the station that's nearest to you. Um, or if you need gluten-free communion elements, those are available at this communion station uh, in the back on this side of the room. And when you gather, gather in a group, um, five, six, seven people around the server. We do that on purpose as a picture of the fact that when we come to know Jesus, we don't just sort of do that as individuals, but that we're immediately to, to know Jesus, to trust him, to call on the name of the Lord, is to be placed into his family, a body of believers who love and trust and follow him together. So gather in a group, take a piece of the bread, dip it into the, the juice, and then when you've done that, partake, eat it together. And savor the good news of forgiveness, of hope that is in the gospel. Be refreshed and ready to share it with those you need.